0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to the Naturally Nourished podcast. This is episode 53, Coping with Chemotherapy. This is Becky here with Allie. Hey everyone. And we are so excited to share this very necessary resource with, with listeners. In fact, I was shocked that Allie doesn't have a general episode on cancer by now.
2: I know. And this is exactly why we need you all <laughs> to be giving us feedback, right? So, you know, on our website, not, on our website, if you go to the Naturally Nourished podcast, which is on the NAV, under the podcast tab, on AllieMillerRD.com, there's a box at the bottom called Ask Allie. We have been getting a lot of fun questions that we're fielding, and we will be doing a QA and a episode coming up. But... These are exactly the reasons why we need feedback from you guys. Becky and I were shocked that we're already in 50 plus episodes and don't have one specifically on cancer. So today will be really helpful to go into coping with chemotherapy. I know there's a lot of clients and friends and family that this will be very helpful for. But before we get into the meat today, I want to just stress to you guys the importance of beyond giving us information of what you want to hear about with new topics, how helpful it is to us to get your reviews
1: on iTunes. Yes, we were just reading a bunch of reviews this morning, actually, and there's some new ones on there, which is very exciting for me, having started as a co-host a couple months ago now. Um, and I wanted to read this one and give a shout out to Mel Ruth TX. Um, so she said, I've been a listener since day one, and I look forward to each new episode. Unlike a lot of health podcasts that are focused on wellness that provide me with little in the way of evidence, Allie and her co-hosts consistently demonstrate their evidence-based approach to food as medicine. I don't have a biology or chemistry background, so every now and then they lose me on the scientific underpinnings of their recommendations, but it allows me to learn a lot and stretch my understanding." Thank you so much, Mel Ruth. We really appreciate it. Awesome. we appreciate all of the reviews. Yes, iTunes.
2: yes. So if you all can take a moment while you're listening and jump on over to iTunes and leave us, even if you just leave us the five stars, it really helps with our ratings. It really helps to spread the food is medicine message further. And it helps to show that you appreciate Becky and I taking our time to spend digging into the research, ensuring we're giving you the most updated information and sharing the message with you.
1: Yes. So thank you in advance for doing that. Um, And I know it's not accurate to say we don't have an episode on the topic of cancer. So I know in episode 36, Allie, you interviewed Dr. Lorenzo Cohen, with whom you had worked as a developer of a food as medicine protocol in a stage three breast cancer research study.
2: Yes, absolutely. And so that study was done, and, and this was work back in 2012, and uh, the study was developed by Dr. Lorenzo Cohen, and it was based off of David Servan-Schreiber's anti-cancer book. And the study had four different elements to it. It had yoga, mindfulness, and cognitive therapy, resistance training and exercise, and then nutrition. So I developed the Food is Medicine and Nutrition Protocol, which, co- which comprised of six different sessions that were hands-on therapeutic food culinary sessions, and then six didactic or educational and counseling sessions. And then we also worked with tracking and accountability and developing actually the protocol of what foods were recommended and those to avoid to maintain in a remissive state after a treatment with stage three breast cancer. And that study is still being implemented right now and is funded through the National Institute of Health. So we should start to see the outcomes probably in the next two to three years or so. Super excited. And I was really uh, honored to be asked and recruited to be a part of developing that element. And I'm I'm excited to see the outcomes.
1: Yes. And I know we still use a lot of your protocol and plan that you came up with um, in clinic and with patients as well.
2: Yes. I mean, cancer prevention, treatment, and survivorship are so significantly impacted by diet and lifestyle. So having a food as medicine plan can not only ensure that you have nutritional support for prevention, it can also ease treatment side effects, and it can prevent recurrence.
1: Right. So I know during my clinical rotation, I had some exposure to cancer patients, um, and it seemed like the side effects of chemo can really be just as severe almost as the disease. So I'm really excited to provide these food as medicine therapies to help with common side effects and ensure best recovery and remission from cancer.
2: Yes. So there are a lot of tools that we want to share as far as prevention and mechanisms of action or, you know, the pathology or how cancer comes about. And I think that that's something that we have in the works, especially today is October 2nd. Uh, I think this episode will go live in the middle or end of October, but being mindful during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, you know, this is a time that we're going to probably delve a little bit deeper and um, give you all some more resources on how to prevent. But today, I really want to ensure we put together a nice package for those of you listening to share with loved ones going through active treatment. And today's primarily focused on chemotherapy, but will also be helpful for radiation radiation as well.
1: (laughs) So Allie, let's get into what the priorities are with treatment beyond, of course, eradication of tumor activity and cancerous cells. What other priorities are there with cancer treatment?
2: So one of the big ones is supporting the immune system. So you know the immune system is truly the surveillance system of the body. And so when can- cancer is in in some theory, you know, an immune dysregulatory concern, where the immune system did not determine that there was abnormal tissue, abnormal activity, and uh, tumorigenic uh, function in the body, and it didn't upregulate its natural killer cells or the immunoactive compounds that should have pretty much gone through processes of apoptosis or cellular suicide to kill off cancer. So the immune system was not surveillancing appropriately. So we want to support the immune system to rebound and be able to detect tumor activity. And then we also on the immune system piece want to recover from being compromised because during treatment, the white blood cells get a huge hit. We'll talk about that later in the episode and how to support and why that's important. But we're really beating down on that immune system during active treatment. So we end up being immune compromised and this makes us more susceptible to virus uh, bacteria and such and so supporting the immune system during treatment for recovery and supporting that compromised immune system as well as upregulating the surveillance elements of the immune system are really key the second thing that i look at is protecting our barriers so our barriers we're thinking of like our cell membranes uh, so protecting our cell membranes with fats Healthy fats help to play a role in that uh, bilipid membrane, which keeps and protects the cellular integrity. It helps to protect the mitochondria, the energy factory of our cells, and all the interworking elements to maintain our body's optimal function. And it keeps toxicity out if we have healthy barrier function also when we're speaking to barrier we're thinking of things like supporting the gut lining so supporting more of a mechanical barrier if you will and this goes all the way from the tender tissue that lines our esophagus along our intestinal lining so we'll talk today about things that can support our gut lining which can prevent ongoing inflammatory processes or prevent that leaky gut and gut lining integrity often takes quite a beating with both chemotherapy and radiation so a big thing to focus on as well protecting our barrier And then the third thing we'd look at is optimizing our nutritional status. So we tend to be under a lot of oxidative distress from, again, active treatment. So this could be from the toxic chemicals in chemotherapy or the radiation. Both of them cause oxidative damage and so we tend to get a lot of depletion and cellular damage so we want to optimize our nutrient status by getting an abundance of antioxidants and then also optimize our nutritional status with some specific nutrients that help with coping with side effects so we'll talk today about things like alpha lipoic acid and its role with neuropathy and other nutrients that tend to get depleted during treatment.
1: Okay so sounds like we've got a lot to cover today. Yes <laughs> always <do. laughs> and but- Yeah. And before we jump in, let's just talk about some of the common barriers to these areas of focus or why they might not be the first thing we're focusing on.
2: Yeah. So, you know, again, we're looking at supporting the immune system, protecting our barriers and optimizing our nutritional status. And I guess that last one is quite vague and kind of encompasses all of this because malnourishment is the biggest barrier for why these three things don't occur. And this is a combination both from drug nutrient interaction. So some of the drugs actually causing depletion. Um, Also, it's a two-part influence because we tend to have inadequate intake with a lot of adversions, taste aversions, or nausea, retching. And this can make it difficult to get in what the body needs in higher demand. And so this is why we often tend to get side effects of treatment.
1: Okay. And then loss of appetite, retching, Um, aversions to certain textures and temperatures can really make this quite difficult, especially when we think of many of our nourishing foods being warm.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And then I know that protein deficiency specifically can cause a lot more side effects.
2: Yes, so protein actually is one thing that I think from from working with MD Anderson and being in the oncology rotating with their dietitians, uh, protein is something that I think across the board most people in oncology are going to be on the same page of emphasizing its importance. And, you know, this is really interesting. I think that this episode piggybacks a couple after that what the health, what the hell take on what the health, um, where I I was really concerned as like public service announcement of the disservice of saying that protein doesn't matter because we do know that the number one cause of death from complications of treatment of cancer care is from protein malnourishment. So, you know, we're actually getting myalgias, muscle wasting, sarcopenia, and uh, the protein is important important not just for our structural health like our lean body mass but protein is the biggest supporter of our immune system and so preventing wasting of muscle and actually maintaining our skeletal muscle mass while also getting enough of those amino acids to support optimal immune function is really the emphasis of getting ample protein and beyond that remember as we've spoke to protein in the past it also plays a role with amino acids that can convert into neurotransmitters so another side effect of cancer care and treatment can be depression and anxiety and this can be higher propensity during malnourishment seen with protein deficiency
1: got it so how much protein ally are we talking about
2: Generally speaking, I I like to make as a kind of minimum standard 80 grams a day or more of protein and emphasizing clean sources. So we're looking for sources that are free of growth hormone and antibiotic. And then that's the first level of defense. And then if possible uh, to look for sources of protein that are wild caught, grass-fed or pasture-raised, as these will have the most nutritional density. So when we're looking at achieving that 80 grams or so, we're getting this value based on a calculation of 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram of body weight. So as an example, if I'm looking at a 150-pound person, their kilograms are going to be 68.2 so if you just take your little calculator out or you guys don't have to do it you can just listen to me (laughs) so 150 divided by 2.2 is 68.2 so that would be that one gram but I want you to get when you're in active cancer care 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilogram so we would take that kilogram amount of 68.2 Multiply that by 1.2, and we would know that their minimum need to be at that 1.2 grams per kg is 82 grams. So again, 80 grams or more, generally speaking, for someone around the, about the range of 150 pounds, obviously as our body weight goes up, our protein intake needs go up as well. And um, one ounce of biological protein, meaning protein from an animal product, yields 7 grams of protein.
1: Okay. And then if we think about like the visual of that, let's give listeners some visuals of, so one ounce would look like one egg for example.
2: Yes, yes. So maybe in a day, if we were looking to get that 80 plus grams and you can help me tally, Becky. Sure. <laughs> but so if we're doing two to three eggs, like maybe we're doing a broccoli frittata or a farmer's market frittata, two to three eggs would be yielding that 14 to 21 grams. So we'd be almost a third, I guess a quarter of the way there, I suppose, um, with our breakfast. And then we could be doing a uh, snack of maybe some vegetables and hummus. So we're not going to get much protein there that's maybe going to give us four to six grams of protein give or take from a little bit of the the garbanzo bean in there and some of the tahini nut butter and then let's say that for lunch we're going to do skipjack tuna so we could do a whole can of skipjack tuna which is six ounces and so that would be giving us 56 uh 56 grams there on addition and um, that could be stuffed in an avocado with a bed of leafy greens like arugula and such and then for the afternoon maybe we're dealing with a little bit of fatigue so we're going to do our cold brew coffee protein shake so we're going to do a little bit of cold brew coffee about four ounces we're going to do a tablespoon of almond butter in there maybe two teaspoons of cacao powder to get some more antioxidants maybe two to four ounces of full fat coconut milk to give some creamy mouthfeel and then blend in a scoop of our grass-fed whey so that's going to give us another 24 grams of protein there and I think that that's pretty close and then that would still give us option of for dinner doing about four ounces of protein on our um, entree so we could do like a uh, grass-fed bison patty with some sweet potato wedges and some sliced avocado and uh, could even do if needed another vegetable like grilled asparagus so what is that looking like Becky (laughs) if we did a burger that was four ounces I guess on top of that that'd be 28 on top of that
1: we're definitely very close to that 80 grams, if not above it, actually. So maybe more we're like above. we're above. Yeah. So we did the 14... Especially with that protein shake. Mm-hmm. So we had
2: <laughs> 70 grams with the skipjack tuna and the mm-hmm. eggs. And then we'd be at 94 with the protein shake. And so, you know, I did give us a hefty lunch with that full can of skipjack tuna, whereas most people for lunches are only getting like 20 grams of protein. And that's where we'd really need that protein shake to amend. Um, and so most of us would probably, I guess, I'd backpedal and say maybe do like three to four ounces. Ounces of protein in that salad, and then that would be the need for the protein shake. Otherwise, if you do the whole can, you may not need to use the shake. Um, but I do like that as a tool because the grass fed way is uh, the naturally nourished grass fed way is non denatured, and so that means that it is low heat processed, which maintains active immunoglobulin compounds. And this is what goes back to our primary goal with cancer treatment and outcomes is supporting the immune system. Immunoglobulins have actually been shown in research to help to upregulate that surveillance system as well as the barrier defense system so those immunoglobulins can help with our secretory iga the mucosal lining that lines our gut and our oral area so it helps to prevent exposure of toxins to our healthy cells helps to support immune function and then the grass-fed naturally nourished way also has glutathione which is the granddaddy antioxidant which glutathione has been shown in a whole gamut of research studies in helping to support best clinical outcomes with chemotherapy as an adjuvant. It actually can protect from damage to otherwise healthy cells.
1: Okay, awesome. And that all sounds delicious, but I know I'm not dealing with any nausea or taste changes. Um, So how would you suggest coping with these symptoms if you are dealing with them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that day was a lot of food if you're dealing with a spotty (laughs) appetite. And, you know, so taste aversion is the first struggle that we see and, and it can happen as soon as 48 hours after first treatment Um, and it can even take a delay of up to two to three weeks and it's varied based on the individual but we want to really navigate those foods that are best accepted and often it's recommended which is very frustrating to me to eat bland foods and bland foods typically translate to refined carbohydrates or otherwise sweetened foods so these foods are not going to give you the nutritional density to support your system in recovery from treatment and or upregulate your body's defense mechanisms to fight against cancer. And so we really want to be mindful of trying to play with instead more new flavors and spice combos that maybe you don't have a taste expectation of a lot of people call it metal mouth when we're getting treatment and it varies based on what chemotherapy agent is being used but this metal mouth sometimes there can be a uh, really more heightened aversion if you eat something that used to be a favorite food so let's say it was spaghetti and meatballs Um, Even if you're healthifying that and doing a spaghetti squash dish with a bolognese, if you have metal mouth or significant taste changes, you're going to feel much less satisfied than stepping outside of your box and maybe trying like a tiki masala roasted chicken dish with different flavor profiles. So using uh, curry powder or garam masala or these new different seasonings will not only not have that nostalgia of, oh, this isn't what I remember it tasting like, or this doesn't taste quote unquote normal because it's new. First off, but it also is going to have a huge abundance of antioxidants that support your detox process and protect your healthy cells. So we can definitely get good bang for our buck by trying new flavors, both by shifting the expectation and getting a pack full punch of nutritional density.
1: Okay. And then and, adding acid to foods as well might be helpful.
2: Yes. So as long as there's no oral sores, uh, and that's why sometimes things like citrus is avoided. And um, that definitely is something that we'll want to address today as well. But if there are not oral sores, adding acid can really brighten up the flavors in a dish. So even something that you did not put acid on previously. So thinking of maybe like a stir fry or uh, even more of a a traditional dish. So I'm thinking of like a beef stir fry or something like that. Adding a little bit of lime juice or adding rice vinegar or lemon or balsamic uh, to your Brussels sprouts brightening up apple cider vinegar all these things will brighten up the flavors and help to kind of evoke a more diverse flavor profile and again something different which can really help with the tasted version and then the third thing I would think of so beyond new flavors and adding acid is try to eat in times when you do experience the most natural or organic hunger and that's where you really want to pack in your punch of nutritional density so you know it's reasonable to eat only two to three times a day Uh, some people recommend eating small frequent meals it really depends on your body but if your body's ready take in what it can so that you can kind of store and hold on to the nutritional density for those times when you have more aversions or nausea
1: okay so that's super helpful for if we're dealing with taste aversions or appetite changes what about specific recommendations for dealing with nausea
2: Yeah, so my go-to, which I use both with uh, the first trimester women dealing with pregnancy uh, nausea as well as cancer nausea and just across the board is ginger. Ginger really is a powerful root. So it's anti-inflammatory and it does have anti-emetic or anti-nausea effects. And it also can help with digestion. It can help with the peristalsis or the pumping, that involuntary movement along the GI tract. So a couple ways to work ginger in is you can sip on ginger tea. If you don't have food in the belly and are dealing with a lot of nausea, you might do a hot ginger tea. However, sometimes heat can create a little bit more nausea. So you might want to do like an infusion or do a chilled. You could make the tea at room temperature and chill it in the fridge and then do that with slices of lemon. And that's a very refreshing tonic. You can also put freshly chopped or grated peeled ginger under your tongue in bouts of nausea. So having that chopped and ready to go and keep that in a ball jar, that can actually have almost a direct onset of relief. And this is the severe nausea where we're experiencing like the pooling of saliva, you know, and so that, that ginger right under the tongue or biting down or putting in the cheek like a squirrel can actually help with preventing that pooling of saliva and that, that desire to retch or vomit. And then considering a ginger shooter is another thing. So a ginger shooter would be taking about an inch of ginger and blending that with two ounces of water. And that would make two different shooters. And so you just shoot it back like a shot. And so you could make double doses of that. Um, you could, if you desire, some people like to add a little bit of apple cider vinegar to that, or even a little bit of honey to that. And either of those things would work just fine. And that can be taken again in onset of nausea or, or preemptively if you know there's a time of the day that you're typically more nauseous. And then, there is a supplement that i really like from thorn and i'll have uh, becky add this to the show notes and it's called gingerol it has been research studied actually uh, compared to placebo and does have significant reductions in nausea and vomiting and um, can be a very therapeutic tool for you and or family members in need it's called gingerol and so we'll put an, a link to that in the show notes and uh, you could just take as prescribed
1: Okay. Yeah, I think those are really helpful tips for how to incorporate ginger. And then of course we could also be adding it, you know, to a smoothie or a shake.
2: Absolutely. Yep. Yep.
1: Or a stir fry, any of those dishes as well.
2: Yep. And and beyond if you're not dealing with nausea, it's going to still be beneficial for its anti-inflammatory effects. So absolutely a great thing to add in throughout the week.
1: Okay. And so um, we also have a note here about considering cooler dishes um, and how hot can actually create that, um, can worsen sores and exacerbate the nausea you mentioned. Yes. Um,
2: Yep. So, you know, just thinking of like a pot roast, (laughs) which is super nourishing, um, but beef especially also, there's some aversions to that. So that's why I really like to push to uh I forget the name of it Becky but you did one when you returned from Thailand and it was like a, or was it a Korean beef dish I'm trying to think something spicy
1: Indonesian okay. short rib I think beef rendang
2: okay so that yeah. would be a good thing yeah. to to kind of consider but you might even consider then eating that cold more like you would cut up that beef and put that on a salad because when things are warm there tends to be a stronger smell of course and that can cause if you already have a little bit of nausea or sour stomach that can cause a little bit more of that nausea and so using these kicks of different flavor profiles and then um, segregating the time it's prepared to consumption and trying more cold applications works really nice and then also yeah like you said if there's an oral sore also cooling temperatures are very helpful directly on contact so that can help with pain and inflammation in the mouth
1: Okay. And we keep mentioning these oral sores. So let's actually talk about why this is a concern, why it happens and how it can be addressed.
2: Yes. So, you know, when we're dealing with noxious compounds, so toxic chemicals in, in chemotherapy, it's damaging our cells. And that's why we get hair loss, that's why we get malnourishment, but that's also why it, it fights against cancer. And radiation is is giving, you know, radioactive waves to damage cells as well, targeting and damaging cells. So the epithelial tissue, the thin thin cells that line the inside of our mouth, unfortunately also get damaged. And uh, there is a pretty rapid turnover. So we can rebuild and create healthy cells quite rapidly, especially if we're supporting um, with nutritional needs so vitamin c is really important with collagen formation using collagen in the diet and bone broth can really help to repair ulcers Uh, but we also want to use cold temperatures to be soothing so we can actually play with using anesthetics or analgesics uh, pain relievers as therapeutic foods so we can actually like freeze fresh fruit Um, i like to blend fresh fruit Fresh fruit excuse me with coconut oil for clients and have them put them in molds and then they can actually suck on these uh prior to mealtime which can numb the tissue it's just like if you have bumped you know your elbow or have a bruise you know and you're putting ice on the wound that's truly what you're doing so you're basically like sucking on a fruit and coconut oil ice um ice piece and that numbs the tissue in the area of the mouth so that prior to mealtime you'll be able to eat with less pain. So it can actually be a direct pain reliever. Another thing you could try freezing which I would recommend is uh, our cacao peanut butter gelatin that we just put up on the blog. So that could be frozen into scoops and could be eaten like a sorbet um, or again could be put in a mold and could be sucked on. Another thing that you can consider, so beyond just actually topically applying frozen, is um, rinsing your mouth out with a solution of baking soda. So you can use a, a teaspoon of baking soda and a teaspoon of sea salt or Himalayan pink salt and dilute that into a glass of lukewarm water and then just swish that in the mouth orally about three to four times daily. Another wash I like to recommend to people is called Perio Wash. So Perio Wash has a lot of organic um, and wild crafted herbs and it works as a natural antibacterial and helps to reset your periodontal gum bacteria state which can help with bad breath but also can prevent infection with any of those open wounds so another really great thing to bring in and it is alcohol free so it will not cause further irritation to that tissue
1: Okay, and then what about something like aloe vera juice for helping to heal ulceration? Yeah,
2: I think that's great. So you could do the aloe vera juice. They now have so many beverages available in the market, or you can get the pure aloe vera juice. It's not the gel that you'd use topically, but the aloe vera juice in the supplement section at your natural food store, and you could drink like an ounce of it. That's what some people use for like heartburn and reflux, and definitely that's going to be more anti-inflammatory, direct tissue support, um, and could be using that for an oral swish. And then the last thing I'd recommend for oral sores, which can actually help to repair ulcerations and coat them, is kudzu root. So we actually have on our website, if you go to alimillerrd.com and you go under books and programs and you click on our cancer ebook, there is a free download for our ginger kudzu root pudding. And this is a pudding where kudzu works as a thickener. So it's a thickener that can also help with bowel regularity. It um, can help with diarrhea and loose stools and urgency, but it also helps in in tissue repair and repairing ulcerations. And so this is something that can be used very therapeutic. It has the kudzu in there for the ulcers and the bowel regularity. It has the ginger in there for the nausea and the digestive support. Um, And then you could even use that same flavor profile. I think it has coconut milk in there as well as the base. You could use that same flavor profile rather than letting it set in the fridge. You could blend in a scoop of the grass fed way and drink that as a smoothie. So both would work really nice, especially if you're having difficult getting in your calories and protein.
1: Yeah. And if you haven't heard of this kudzu root before, it can actually be used as a really good quality thickener, way better than something like cornstarch or other pro-inflammatory thickeners that are used in sauces like flour. Yes. Uh, Lots of applications.
2: Yes, I use it in every gravy that I make actually. So most of the time, you know, I'm always trying to buy – the meat that is bone and skin on for a good balance of amino acids so to help with that glycine methionine balance in the amino acids and um, get back to more nourishing components from the animal products Uh, so you know that's why we go for like the tendons ligaments and organs of course there's much more nutritional density but when I'm doing bone and skin on proteins there's often that nice browning drippings in the pan and so I'll reduce that with a little bit of bone broth and then whisk in a little bit of kudzu and I get a really nice pan sauce sometimes I'll use a little bit of white wine to reduce the drippings or red wine if it's a a red meat dish and it makes a really awesome gravy that you can put on top of your protein or use it on top of roasted veggies so kudzu is a a favorite in my household regardless of ulcers or diarrhea it's a therapeutic add-on and a great thickener
1: it's a really good tip for Thanksgiving coming up yes thickening your gravy
2: for sure that's what I use yeah
1: All right so let's talk a little more about texture so beyond having oral sores in the mouth there can be difficulty with swallowing due to either dry mouth or um, difficulty chewing or um, even the esophagus being ulcerated as well
2: yeah so you know i talked about the, the the epithelial tissue and how the cells actually get damaged and that's where we'll have some sores or wounds in the oral cavity but this can actually happen throughout the entire GI lining. So both chemo and radiation can damage these delicate delicate follicles which line our GI tract. And this is what we call in the intestinal lining the brush border. And this can make things really difficult as far as swallowing because we don't have that passive support of scooting the food particles down because those poor follicles are damaged so we don't get that kind of finger-like push of the food particles down the esophagus and so things can kind of sit or feel heavy. Um, Also this means like I mentioned the brush border which is where most of our digestive enzymes are released is also hindered. So our digestive enzymes start To be produced in our saliva and saliva can be reduced from many oral medications so this whole process can really play a hit to our gi tract so if we have hindered salivary production we're going to have a difficult time chewing and making what's called a bolus and a bolus is literally like balling up your food to be swallowed so the saliva helps to basically emulsify or create you know broken down food particles into like a ball to be swallowed and then also that saliva should come with a pack full of nutritional enzymes to break down food particles so when we're low on saliva we're having a difficult time swallowing so adding moisture into foods can be important um so this would be things like adding in bone broth or even adding in a little bit of pureed fruits like pureeing peaches into uh playing with a really soft-cooked carnita or uh, pork tenderloin. We may even, if we're dealing with severe oral sores, maybe pre-break that down or use ground pork during that time instead of like an actual biological uh meat piece so kind of pre-digested if you will if it's ground and then adding in like some peaches would work really nice as a flavor profile to that and that would add more moisture into the dish or i like to use bone broth a lot as well and then beyond this uh, i would emphasize going back to my initial thing digestive enzymes so digestive enzymes would be really important i put all of my clients on digest aid which is our enzyme pride product that has The whole gamut of your enzymes to break down carbohydrates proteins and fats so it has your cellulase your um, amylase your proteases your lipase so it breaks down all of your vegetable fibers all of your proteins fats and carbohydrates and then it also has hydrochloric acid to optimize the ph in the gastric pouch and it has ox bile, which helps with emulsification and breakdown, so that these are really important keys, and this is a very safe supplement that can be used during treatment, pre, post, during, with cancer care, and it supports the absorption of all of the nutrients that you're consuming, and it can also prevent nausea, so really important, that would be a big, 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 loud emphasis is get going on digestive enzymes because this is gonna help your body, which is compromised in the breakdown, to break down and absorb nutrients and also make less irritation along the gut lining when the gut doesn't have those delicate follicles to support and optimize the digestive process.
1: And I'll link to Digest-Aid in the show notes awesome. as well so awesome. that we have that resource.
2: Yep, I think that that's really important. And then another thing to consider, like I alluded to with the pork, is blending food. So we don't have to go to the level of maybe a truly ground everything, but doing smoothies and soups is a great way to ensure a pack of nutrition punch and ensure optimal absorption because it is basically pre-digested. So adding greens into our smoothie is typically better accepted than doing a big green salad. And, you know, we don't have to chew as much because it's mechanically already broken down Um, I would still take the enzyme with the smoothie in that setting so we're better able to absorb the nutritional density but it's a lot easier on our GI tract and um, soups can be a great thing for that reason as well and then in the soups you're able to get the two for one of getting in the bone broth which is definitely a therapeutic food during treatment
1: and then the blending and adding bone broth and adding moisture is just another way to get in more water which is always good as well so talking about dehydration and electrolyte imbalance this can cause nausea dizziness fatigue yep. in cancer treatment as well so What are approaches to hydration?
2: Well, you know, when you're going in for an infusion, often your med tech will ask you if your urine is clear, (laughs) and that's always a big hit. They're always looking to ensure that your hydration status is optimal because that helps for successful administration of the chemotherapy agents. If we are dehydrated, it can be a heavier hit on the body, and that can really throw electrolyte balance off. And so optimal hydration is really important, and this also helps with the health of our white blood cells which allows us to be more resilient during treatment and remember that's where all of the army of our immune system lives so and and the hydration status is going to support our stress response in the body as well. So we look to get about half of our body weight in fluid ounces each day. So again, going back to that 150 pound person that's eating 80 grams of protein, they'd be looking at about 75 fluid ounces of water or more. So that's the minimum, is about half the body weight in fluid ounces per pounds. So some things that I work with clients to get their hydration up is doing infusions. So in the Naturally Nourished Cookbook, we have a whole section in our therapeutic food section where we devote different combinations of water infusions. So whether we are adding fresh herbs such as basil or mint or rosemary or using green tea as a vehicle, all of these are ways to add flavor and antioxidants and also add in a compound that drives more of the fluid intracellularly. So when you have a solute, that helps overall with our water stability.
1: Awesome. And then soups as well we mentioned but let's give some more ideas of different soups that could be used
2: yes so soups are great because we can pack in a lot of organic produce we can use bone broth as a vehicle which is going to have that collagen to support our uh connective tissue so from our hair skin nails joints that lining of the gut that i mentioned and even in the oral cavity so definitely supportive to get in the bone broth and then add in our vegetable scraps so anytime we're cooking our uh, carrot tops our uh, onion skins all of these things from organic produce can go into a freezer ziploc bag and then be dumped into our stock pot to make a really dense mineral broth. And then we can even add in more therapeutics like turmeric root and the ginger root and all in delivery you let this simmer for about 24 to 36 hours and add a pretty abundant amount of sodium as well and so you're going to get the sodium from a himalayan pink salt or a sea salt and this is going to really help to balance out our electrolytes and minerals and be very vitamin rich especially if we puree in additional produce so we could do like our uh, cream of spinach soup that we have in the eat fat get skinny book where we take four to five handfuls of greens, blend that in the blender from a heated uh, base of a uh, chicken stock, and then you can top that with a little bit of coconut milk if you're going dairy-free, or you could top that with a dollop of Greek yogurt and then even some shredded rotisserie chicken to have a nice meal in a cup. Um, and then also if you're looking for something that isn't hot because you're having some of that nausea or aversion, using like our avocado detox soup would be another good recipe that you could incorporate and add in that grass-fed whey or add in that rotisserie chicken or poached whitefish to get a full meal in a cup.
1: Yes, I just made a big batch of bone broth this weekend, and we actually used some chicken feet in there to get more of the gelling.
2: Awesome. I saw that. I was thinking that'd be a good Halloween post. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was pretty
1: creepy, uh, pretty weird looking.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's where all the good stuff is getting the chicken feet is going to make yep. it significantly much more gelatinous. So, you know, much more than the backs and the other bones. And now, beef broth, you tend to get more gelatin from the bones after you roast them than the chicken bones. So adding the feed in is definitely key to make a gelatinous broth. And then also you could add gelatin um, after the math. So using like the vital proteins, um, beef gelatin, and adding that to your soup stock can get a little bit more of that therapeutic compound as well. But Soups and ensuring that you're optimizing your hydration status is key. And salt is something to not be overlooking because if you're eating really clean, you have high tendency, especially when there's electrolyte fluctuations and high stress to the body with toxic compounds from chemo, to get hyponatremia or low sodium, especially if you're not eating a processed diet. So adding salt to your foods is really important just as much as getting optimal fluid intake.
1: Okay, so I think those are all really helpful tips for hydration status and electrolyte balance. So let's now transition and talk about changes in digestion and in the bowels. So both diarrhea and constipation being potential side effects of chemo.
2: Yes, and and, and radiation as well, for sure. And diarrhea can happen also because of being immune compromised. So having susceptibility to foodborne compounds like moderate amounts of E. coli or salmonella, things that would not influence someone with a stronger immune system. So being immune compromised and also diarrhea can happen from just damage to the lining and distress in the GI tract. And it can also happen when electrolyte status is off. And so when we're looking at diarrhea, we want to focus on foods that will slow down the transit time. So soluble fibers, um, slowing gumming foods. So we're looking at things like rice, We're looking at things like cooked uh, fruit, stewed pears with ginger is a fantastic option. We have that ginger, uh, the poached pears with coconut. Um, We'll link that recipe on here, and that's also in the Naturally Nourished Cookbook. But this is a really great recipe to work with diarrhea and slowing down the bowel, as is congee. So congee is a traditional rice dish that I use therapeutically with clients all the time. Uh, It's made with about four to five times the cooking liquid as rice would. So usually rice is like a two to one, like two cups of water to one cup of grain. When we're looking at congee, we're gonna use about uh, double that. So we're looking at about eight to 10 cups of water, um, or I'm sorry, four to five, not double the double. (laughs) So we're looking at like four to five cups of uh, water. And instead of water, I like to recommend bone broth. So we're adding in more nutritional density and it's going to create this really kind of gel-like porridge. It's very nourishing, and we can add into this things like uh, we can add burdock root to help tonify the liver and help with nausea. We can add our ginger back in here. We can add scallions. We can add turmeric. Uh, We can also add in things like garam masala and different warming seasonings. So using this kind of bland porridge that has the therapeutic bone broth, the gelling of that helps to slow down the urgency in the loose stool. So that's definitely something to look
1: at. Okay, and then what about supplements that we could use
2: yeah so you know i mentioned that we can also get the diarrhea from susceptibility to bacteria and you know this is where we can both eat the same st- the same spinach which could be moderately contaminated with salmonella or e coli and one person will get sick and the other one won't and that's because we are introducing that pathogen to our own ecosystem of our microbiology so if our gut microbiome is damaged by radiation or our gut microbiome is sterilized through chemotherapy or prophylactic antibiotics, God forbid, even, you know, then we're really going to have very low baseline good bacteria. And probiotics work as an army of defending against bad bacteria, as well as supporting optimal digestive function and upregulating the natural killer cells in our body you know we've seen in research that probiotics alone can be anti tumorigenic so they can actually fight off cancer themselves so I'm a huge fan beyond I mentioned the emphasis of the digestive enzymes also getting everyone going through cancer care on a good quality probiotic so we could start with our uh, restore baseline probiotic as a good start This has a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido cultures, which are the most well-researched. And so I like to start there. Um, However, if we have been on antibiotics as of recent, I like to go into the spectrum, which has a wider, as it sounds, spectrum or wider coverage of more than 11 different strains of probiotics and also includes friendly yeast bacteria strain so if we're dealing with any uh, yeast flares in the body like oral candidiasis or thrush or if we're dealing with a vaginal yeast infection or have been on an antibiotic then I would go right for the spectrum probiotic and the other one to consider if we're dealing with lose stools or constipation and it's become chronic is a little bit more potent of a probiotic and that's our targeted strength probiotic so becky i'll ask that you can put maybe a link to all three in the show notes and a little explanation of why people would consider each one and i think then that will be really helpful so between the restore baseline for just your insurance policy if you will to the spectrum if you've been on an antibiotic or if you've had any yeast flares to the targeted strength, which is the same thing as their baseline probiotic, but it's four times the potency. So that would be if you're having actual bowel distress.
1: Okay, and I'll link to all of that in the show notes. Uh, What about probiotic foods, Ellie?
2: Yeah, so probiotic foods can be great as well. So if we're talking about bringing in things like Gut Shot by Farmhouse Cultures, or if we're going to be doing kombucha, there's so many different. You could probably get kombucha locally as well at your farmer's market. So kombucha will have a combination of both good bacteria and yeast. That SCOBY is that symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast. Uh, We can also get good probiotics from kefir and our yogurts, as well as our raw eggs cheeses so food forms of probiotics can be great Um, the only thing I would state is if you are dealing with neutropenia or a specific uh, risk of being immune compromised we do recommend using the third-party assessed colony forming units as a probiotic pill first then the whole food forms which do have potentiality to have wild strains and could have a little bit more dysbiotic influence on someone that is severely immune compromised.
1: Okay. That makes sense. And we'll talk about neutropenia a little bit in a couple of minutes. Um, so what about the opposite problem how about speeding things up or getting things moving if we're dealing with constipation yeah
2: so first things first make sure you're getting enough water you guys because you got to get something to move (laughs) the, the tubes and then fiber so you know fiber can be a brick or a broom so we want fiber to work as a broom and that means that it needs enough water to create that flushing so getting fiber upwards of 35 plus grams a day by eating your whole foods based diet so two to three cups of leafy greens getting in a good solid third uh, plus cup of nuts and seeds per day, getting in your other five choices of non-starchy vegetable, especially from like your cruciferous vegetables, which have a lot of fiber, and then about two to three fruit options should easily cover that. But you may add in a little bit of fiber as a supplemental um, compound. So you could use the uh, phytofiber, which is an antioxidant-rich Whole food based fiber supplement, or you could add in chia seed or flax seed to your smoothies, and all of that would work really nice. And those all work as prebiotics. So, the phytofiber and getting ample fiber in your diet is going to feed the good bacteria. And maintaining a good bacteria base with a probiotic supplement is also a piece of the puzzle of ensuring optimal bowel motility.
1: Okay, and then I know you have a little trick that you like to do with prunes, so let's talk about that.
2: So two to three uh, dried prunes that you put with two ounces of water heated. So you can do this in just like a little glass cup. Uh, And you heat that, and then you mix that with one tablespoon of coconut oil, and you blend that up. And uh, it really pushes things through. Um, It has osmotic fluid, osmotic properties. It lubricates with the coconut oil. The coconut oil also has antimicrobial and uh, antiviral and antifungal compounds and supports your healthy cells. And um, the prunes are high amounts of that soluble fiber. And the warm water can actually upregulate a little bit of that pulp pulsing that's also why people recommend coffee coffee can work as a bowel stimulant and um, adding coconut oil and or grass-fed butter or ghee to your coffee would be another thing so doing like a keto coffee would be another thing where you get the stimulant from the caffeine and the warmth and then the lubrication Um, so we'll put in our show notes how to do that prune blend and that's something nice to do more before bed whereas you could do the fat in your coffee or tea in the morning. And then, if you're still having issues, you could add in Mag citrate a couple times a week, um, about one to two teaspoons at bed. Now, Mag citrate is going to be better quality than something like Miralax, which can cause depletion and imbalance of your electrolytes, but it is just a stool softener. So, Mag citrate is not a very bioavailable form of magnesium. It's going to bring water into the colon. So, if you are having like the marble like bowel movements um, where they're just dehydrated, or- There's a lot of strain that would be a go to for mag citrate and then optimizing your hydration. However, when we're talking about magnesium deficiency and more whole body support during cancer treatment and care, I like to have people start with relax and regulate. Relax and regulate uses a form of magnesium glycinate, which is more of a neuromuscular, more bioavailable form of magnesium. So, this helps to actually get into the muscles to help with relaxation. It helps to work that peristalsis or that pumping of the GI tract to move the bowel matter down the colon. And it also can help with things like insomnia and uh, neurological health. So it can be a little bit more multifactorial than your mag citrate over the counter, which is gonna just be more of a stool softener.
1: Okay, so starting with relax and regulate and then using the mag citrate one to two times a week as needed
2: yeah yeah and I mean you could use it every day if needed needed but that's probably a sign of a bigger issue and I would more so support the system with a good quality probiotic and the relax and regulate and then using like the prune blend with coconut oil getting your water and fiber up in the diet and then again occasional use of the mag citrate yes
1: okay And then on that topic of the relax and regulate and that maglycinate working on a more neuromuscular level, let's talk about neuropathy that's experienced as a side effect.
2: Yes, so neuropathy is a very common side effect that can be quite painful and uh, irritant that can last for years post-treatment. And this is often tied to deficiencies of particular nutrients as well as dysglycemia or blood sugar regulation. So the first thing we look at is Regulating the glycemic index, so keeping carbohydrates in check and always pairing carbs with proteins and healthy fats and then bumping up the fats in the diet. So ensuring ample amounts of avocado, coconut oil, olive oil, nuts, seeds, and nut flours. If we're doing any baked goods, we'd want to use as a foundation a nut flour versus a grain-based flour because not only will it be less inflammatory, it will be higher fiber, higher nourishing, and higher fat. Fat, which is going to really help to protect that myelin sheath of our nervous coating. So the nerve coating can be damaged by toxins, which is the primary symptom or, or driver of why we get the neuropathy after chemotherapy or during chemotherapy treatment. But it can also be damaged by sugars. Sugars can actually demyelinate the lining. So when we're talking about the diet, the first line of defense is carb control and then getting those fats up to protect the nerves.
1: And then what other therapeutic nutrients could we bring in? So the magglycinate, what else?
2: So also inositol is the other thing that's in Relax and Regulate. And that's kind of a derivative in the B vitamin family. It has a lot of benefits with the nervous system. And it can also help with insulin resistance. So it works a lot with signaling within the body. And inositol, myoinositol specifically, can help with that myopathy and neuropathy so it can help with protecting the coating of our nerves also we look at alpha lipoic acid that's probably one of the most well-researched antioxidants which is both fat and water soluble Alpha-lipoic acid can also remyelinate or protect the nervous sheath. And then B12 is probably the most common. All of the B vitamins in general can drive neuropathy when deficient, but B12 is probably the most common deficiency trend where we can get that tingling sensation. And I know I personally, when I was a vegan, experienced Neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy from B12 deficiency. So maglycinate, inositol, B12, and alpha lipoic acid are four big nutrients of focus when we're looking at trying to prevent and or cope with and reduce the severity of neuropathy.
1: And then what about food sources of all of those as well? Yeah,
2: so you're going to find your most nutritional density of B12 and alpha-lipoic acid from your animal products. So definitely ensuring back to that first goal we talked about of getting 80 plus grams of protein a day. Brewer's yeast is another really good one. So nutritional yeast or brewer's yeast, which we can add into nutball products, add into smoothies, add into our kale chips. Leafy greens are a great form as well of nutrients that can help to protect our nerve coating and prevent that inflammatory process, bumping up our glutathione and N-acetylcysteine with our cruciferous vegetables like Brussels sprouts, which also are a great source of alpha-lipoic acid. And then a total superfood... For neuropathy and pain and fatigue is turmeric. So turmeric is one that we want to get the benefit of both of fat and water-soluble compounds. So if we're doing that uh, as fresh ginger, uh, fresh turmeric, excuse me, fresh turmeric root or turmeric powder, we want to incorporate that with like a traditional dish, which would have coconut milk or coconut oil, because um, there's going to be water naturally occurring from any time you cook vegetables, right? So you don't have to add water, but you want to add fat every time you deal with turmeric to get the most bioavailable absorption Um, because we see turmeric helping across the board with like I said pain and inflammation neuropathy fatigue and then also taking it a step further it can increase those natural killer cells and actually fight against cancer so it's one of the most well-researched bioflavonoids or natural plant compounds um, those curcuminoids in the turmeric that can fight against cancer so it can help with both side effects And also maintaining remission.
0: And
1: then I hear a lot of people asking about adding black pepper either into cooking or in a a synergistic, yeah, into a supplement with turmeric. So should that be in your turmeric supplement?
2: Yeah, so there's a lot of products out there that do the biopurine combination. Biopurine is fancy talk for black pepper. (laughs) Biopurine with curcuminoid blends. And this was really well researched in uh, blood studies that were looking at bioavailability. However, when we uh, selected super turmeric, which is the naturally nourished uh, turmeric supplement that we have, uh, it was actually studied against a biopurine curcuminoid blend, and the super turmeric is the highest bioavailable curcuminoid formulation on the market, so we're really proud and impressed. Anything that I'm going to stick my name on, <laughs> obviously I'm going to look into heavily and, and make sure that I can stand by it, um, But and that's why we couldn't come up with a better name other than just super turmeric, um, <laughs> but yes, it has three different bioactive compounds, so it has uh, two different curcuminoids, and then... The curcuminoid uh, turmeric whole food oil. So it actually blends three different curcumins. So curcumin, bis demoxy and um, demoxy itself all those three curcumin's, and then turmeric oil and so they work together to be the most protective and most well-researched constituents of the turmeric root and their peak of the amount of anti-inflammatory activity and the sustained effects outperform anything that that we've seen in the market including those combination formulas so culinarily speaking, I would say yes, adding black pepper with your turmeric is just as important as adding fat, but we've seen in research based on this um, type of emulsification or the way that it is formulated, that that's not necessary. And it's really helpful because adding that black pepper can cause a lot of heartburn and reflux. So this formula tends to be really well tolerated and doesn't have some of the gastric irritation, which is definitely something we want to watch out if someone's already dealing with nausea and taste aversions.
1: Okay, good to know. Um, So this is also a formula I know you would recommend to help to prevent neutropenia. So let's get into what neutropenia is and, and talk about this condition.
2: Yeah. So the reason, so neutropenia occurs when our white blood cell count goes very low. Neutrophils are one type of a white blood cell that fights infection. And chemotherapy just slams our body with chemicals. And so we tend to get a hit all the way down to our bone marrow, which is where our white blood cells are manufactured. And um, when our neutrophil count gets to a certain level of low, what's called neutropenia. And so when our neutrophil count gets low, an infection is higher likely to occur. And so we're more susceptible to bacteria infection, we're more susceptible to virus. And uh, in this neutropenic state, there's also a specific diet that tends to be recommended where there is a prevention of raw foods, prevention of especially things like sushi or those that would be higher risk for bacteria. And that's where I mentioned, you know, when we're talking about probiotics, we might want to be a little bit more focused on um, getting in the uh, supplemental form for a kind of insurance policy if you will and then using the food as medicine as an additional support would be absolutely helpful and warranted but if we are in a high risk of neutropenic state we might want to only be consuming from uh, produced foods that are third party assessed versus like the wild cultures that you're growing in your own kitchen or buying at the farmers market. You might want to be a little bit more conservative if you do have a low neutrophil count. Um, and then also we take that a step further where we try to do more cooked foods. So even less things like smoothies and such. Because as I mentioned, you know you may have more susceptibility to natural. Influence of E. coli from spillout on contamination of spinach, um, and so we're, we're doing less raw foods, mostly cooked, um, cooked fruits and such. And um, I generally will still put greens in smoothies, but I might do a quick blanch or something like that, just to be extremely conservative. But having that super turmeric does have natural antibacterial and antiviral and um, antifungal, but mostly antibacterial and antiviral an anti-inflammatory influence, so it can help with the neuropathy, it can help with the pain, but it also helps to prevent bacteria and viral influence in the body so it can support your immune system while that white blood cell count may be vulnerable or hindered.
1: Awesome, and I think we've talked a lot about food goals both for you know preventing neutropenia and then some of the other um, side effects. Yes. Let's talk about the resource that you developed.
2: So we have on the website, as I mentioned, if you go where I mentioned that free download, so AllieMillerRD.com books and programs tab and then click on cancer ebook and um becky right now is working on beautifying it so i do apologize this was done as a word doc it may not be the most aesthetically appealing depending on when you listen to this episode i'm sure by mid-november we'll have it up and running Uh, but at this time (laughs) sure at this time it's 12.95 and it is still a fantastic resource it has So much information on it as far as the pathology of what drives cancer, what are cancer superfoods, and um, also it has 30-plus recipes to support your plan. But it will be... Getting a facelift and also more information packed into it, and the price though also is going to go up to 19.95. So, so you might want to take advantage of it currently at 12.95, and then keep an eye out. We'll be shooting out to our email list, I'm sure, as we as we give it the facelift. But it is the Cancer Ebook under Books and Programs,
1: and I'll link to that in the show notes so that people can find it even easier. Awesome. Um, awesome. So we've talked about everything from texture and temperature to different flavor combinations to coping with digestive shifts And i think we've really covered a lot of ground in this episode yeah
2: i mean the biggest things i want you guys to take home is the emphasis of the power of protein because remember that recommendation came full circle getting your protein up to store also means that you're going to be getting the nutrients like the b12 and the alpha lipoic acid and those compounds that prevent even painful side effects of things like neuropathy so getting your protein up and the power of protein Getting in your greens is another thing I really emphasize. So trying to get that two to three cups of greens per day, whether you blend it into your bone broth or your smoothie or able to have it as a salad on the days that the appetite feel well. Focusing on your digestive support. So big emphasis there on finding a probiotic product that that works with your body's needs. So whether it's that Restore Baseline or the Spectrum Probiotic or the Targeted Strength. Uh, considering the use of digestive enzymes to reduce the inflammatory distress of large food particles while also ensuring that you're absorbing nutritional density and helping to regulate the bowel and help to cope with nausea with the Aid enzyme and then we also talked about supporting your digestive system with ample fiber and using therapeutic foods like bone broth and kudzu root and then regulating inflammation so whether we're using the super turmeric supplement or we're getting in the anti-inflammatory foods recommended, including turmeric as a food and probiotics and ginger. I think that we've left you all with a bunch of support across the board that you can support your system from prevention, but also help a family member or friend in need that's going through active treatment.
1: All right. So we will pull all of the links from this show. And as always, the show notes will be available on our page at allymillerrd.com podcast We hope this episode comes in handy for a loved one. Um, So please share it with friends via Facebook, Instagram, email, anyone that could use this resource. And remember that the best way to show gratitude for us is by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes so that others can find us in a health-related search. All
2: right. Thank you guys so much for listening and uh, tune in next time.
0: Thank you. For listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast, visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.